Welcome to this week's episode of Wild Wild What the Facts, the podcast where some friends talk about the wild, hilarious, and surprising things that have happened in history. I'm Lauren. And I'm Jared. And no Alex today. No Alex, because he's a slacker. No, actually, Alex is probably one of the busiest, most (laughs) work-efficient people I know, so. True facts. Alex, you keep doing you, buddy. Yeah, thanks, Alex, for listening to us talk in your ear holes and fixing it and making us sound better. And making us sound like we're at least slightly professional. <laughs> yeah, also, um, if anybody listened to our macabre episode about weird deaths and got very confused about 18 minutes in and were like, why is Alex talking to himself? We don't know what happened there. We fixed it. Um <laughs> Well, Alex fixed it. I take credit only because I brought the attention to it. But yeah, for about 30 seconds, there's no one else but Alex making like random remarks like, wow. Like, <laughs> and I was listening to it in my car and was like, wait, what? What happened? It's an, so, it's an art piece. Yeah. We, d- we didn't tell you about it. Just seeing if people really appreciated it. And the like, it was... Very surreal because Alex, you could just hear Alex making those things. And like you cut off <laughs> mid-sentence in like a kind of important part of the story. And then 30 seconds later, just like continue. And we're all just talking. And I mean, of course, we didn't know it happened. So that's how it wasn't recorded. But if you're just listening to it, you're like, did did I just have a seizure? Like, what? <laughs> and you you know, well, I was going to say there weren't, there aren't like a ton of people that listen to us right now. But like, I was thinking there's probably that one conspiracy theory guy that heard it. He's like, (laughs) must have some meaning. And then there's like the, the, the room with the pictures and the yarn strings and all that stuff. And yeah. Mm -hmm. So definitely. Uh, But Alex has fixed it. He says it shouldn't be there. I have not checked, but he reposted it without missing 30 seconds. By this time we should be very, very good. Yeah, and of course, so, by this time, it's also going to be like a month after that episode was released, too, like two so. weeks. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah. So if you also notice that we randomly posted the same episode twice, that's why. That's why <laughs> we apologize. Things happen. We're we're still yeah. learning. But if it were me editing versus Alex, it would have been way worse. So yeah, we would have lost the audio. We were, been we're just we're just thankful for Alex. We would have taken another hiatus for a few weeks trying to figure out our audio. (laughs) So, folks, uh, we are recording on a Monday, and yesterday happened to be Mother's Day. Yes. So This will come out in a couple weeks, but we're celebrating Mother's Day today. Yes. A little late. A little late, but that's okay. That's okay. Because that's how we do things. (laughs) That is how we roll, and as long as we give moms props... We'll be fine. We'll we'll be releasing the Father's Day episode sometime next January. <laughs> so just like we released the Halloween episode in December, the Black History Month in March. Like we got it. We, we are on top. We record it when it's relevant, <laughs> but yeah. we don't necessarily release it. <laughs> also, Asian History Month was early, so there's that. 
But and here's here's the thing, folks, is every month should be everybody month. So Yeah. You should focus on all folks. Yeah. All the time. <laughs> be happy yeah. that your moms are your moms every day. You don't have to wait for one day out of the year to say thanks, mom. Yeah. You've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on me. And I've given you nothing. <laughs> I've given you disappointment and a podcast you don't want to listen to. So there's that. Folk, yes, folks, go. go if hu- mom, if you're listening to this, we are still talking. Go hug your, go hug your moms. Give them a, a fist, yeah, I love, a fist bump love you, mom. or an elbow And touch. all the people who are wanting to be mothers and can't be or mother figures in people's lives or birth mothers or have lost their mother. Everything. Happy Mother's Day yesterday and two weeks ago from when, when you actually listened to this. Seriously. We love you. Moms are Vikings. They are Vikings. And you don't have to birth something to be a mother. Now. Be an example. <laughs> it does help. It does help. But like a mother type person, you don't have to birth it. Right, right, right. You don't, you don't have to birth it. <laughs> wow. Okay. You're welcome. I don't know how I feel about you phrasing it like that. Just birth it. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about when I phrase most things. So <laughs> so today, folks, we're going to be talking about some historical moms. In my case, I did not pick necessarily a good mom. Oh, good. <laughs> we're celebrating mothers, but Jared picked a bad person. Love it. But <laughs> you can't ha- let us have it. Anything. I mean, she loved her kid, and she she got him to a very important position, but... Is this going to be like a mommy dearest type thing? No. Oh, okay. No. Good. Have you heard that's of better. Agrippina the Younger? No. That's a All cool right. name, though. Yeah. How in tune was with... There a, hold on. Was there an Agrippina the Older? The Elder. The elder, sorry. Guess her relation to Agrippina the Younger. Her cousin. Her mom! I know. <laughs> so, anyway. Agrippina the Younger. Or Agrippina. I'm, I'm sure there's some Roman pronunciation I'm saying this wrong. I'm going to say Agrippina because it's easier to say than Agrippina. And I'm assuming... Well, never mind. I'm not going to say and that. And Agrippina just sounds... Something. It sounds weird. Uh mm-hmm. So are are you very dialed into your Roman history? Uh no. All right. Well, I'm going to listen For some... someone who has a history podcast, I'm finding that I don't know much about history. Roman history is messy <laughs> and it's weird and it's in this case it's gross in some places. Good. But I'm sure you're familiar with names such as Julius Caesar. Hey, I know that one. Caesar Augustus. Mhm. Caligula. Mm, vaguely. Claudius. Mm-hmm. Nero. Yeah, I know that one. This lady's involved. But I don't know if I actually know Nero or if I just know the Matrix Nero. That's Neo. Ne- oh, well, then I know nothing. Yeah, so Nero. <laughs> Different. Was the emperor that allegedly oh, set okay. Rome on fire and looted yeah. from the, mm-hmm. not looted as in stole stuff, but played the loot fr- oh. from a... Uh, from a rooftop. So, Agrippina... The rooftop, shout it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
Anywho. Sorry, continue. So Agrippina. Agrippina, the, tell me all about Agrippina it. the Younger had a link to all of them, and she actually had a massive, massive, massive impact on Rome. Wasn't necessarily the best impact on Rome, but she impacted it. That's uh, I mean, for sure. Fair enough. So Agrippina the Younger was the daughter of Agrippina the Elder, go figure, and a Roman okay. general named Germanicus. She had, I like that name as well. It's a great name. It really yeah, is. Great. <laughs> she, uh, all these names are really fun to say uh, yeah. uh, for the most part. So she had two sisters. One was Julia Drusilla, and the other one was Julia Lavilla. Lavilla. I might be saying that wrong. So, by the way, these are all people descended directly from Julius Caesar and okay. his entire family because they're all mixed. Ugh. Anyway, she also had three older brothers. One was Nero Caesar, not the one you're thinking of, Drusus Caesar, and Caligula. And he actually turns out to be the future emperor of Rome. Okay. And for those of you out there who want to see just a bananas movie, watch Caligula from the 70s, and just a heads up, it is explicit as all get out. But it is... Because the 70s were explicit. I mean, but this is... In general. It has real actors in it, but it was also directed by an Italian director that does a lot of explicit movies. And so you got this weird mixing of legitimate film people with kind of a soft corn porn guy. It's just the Did you say soft core or soft corn? Soft core. Oh, okay. I guess I guess we'll figure out in the in the recording later what I really said. <laughs> but anyway, it's a weird movie and it's it's a lot. So keep that in mind. Perfect. Be 18 or over when you watch it. Got it. Agrippina was born November 6 in the year 15 or 14 and the, Sorry, before we go too deep into the story, that's another weird thing about writing this is all the dates were like in the year 15, in the year 14, you know, like that's, that is weird. So when I say the years moving forward, it's just going to be a, a number like that. It's going to sound weird. So she was born in either 15 or 14 in present day Cologne, Germany, which was a Roman outpost at the time. She and her siblings, minus Caligula, would travel throughout Germany with her parents and as I touched on earlier, her father, Germanicus, was a very, very, very popular Roman general. In October of 19, Germanicus died in what is now Turkey. Oh. And he was so well-known and well-beloved that his death caused a lot of public grief. Was it in Constantinople? No. Oh. No, it was in Antioch, I think. Oh. So, That's not as fun to say. No, but... Thinking of Monty Python and the Holy Grail, the Holy Hand Grenade of Antioch, that's more fun. I just have the They Might, they might Be Giant song stuck in my head now. Yeah, no. So... <laughs> Do you even know what I'm talking about? Yes, I, I know what you're talking okay. about. I won't sing it. Yeah, yet. thank you. After Germanicus's death, her family returned to Rome, where she was supervised by her mother, grandmother, and great-grandmother. All of these women were very, very, very highly influential women in Roman society, and this is where she learned how to navigate Roman society safely and effectively, and um, you'll see. Okay. Wait, so her mother, grandmother, and great-grandmother were all there? Yes. 
How old were these women? Uh, fairly old. So her great really? her great grandmother was. I get into this later. Um, she okay, was either sorry. Augustus's daughter or like either right related with Augustus or or not. I, I can't remember, but I think this is around the time around the time Augustus died. Yeah, huh. okay. I should read on. So her <laughs> great uncle Tiberius became emperor and head of the family after Augustus died in fourteen. So Augustus but, was the emperor after all that Caesar stuff went down. Julius Caesar stuff went down. Yeah, just that minor yeah. Julius Caesar stuff. That mm-hmm. minor Julius Caesar stuff. So in 28 at the right... Okay, folks, by the way, just a warning, a trigger warning. Uh, Romans were weird and gross and inappropriate by today's standards. So I'm about to talk about some relationships that were very, very, very... Ugh. So incest. Incest and underage underage stuff so in in the year 28 at the ripe old age of 13 tiberius arranged for agrippina to marry a guy named nias domitus i'm not going to try to say his last name it's spelled a-h-e-n-o-b-a-r-b-u-s wow and he was her second cousin on her dad's side and he was 63 uh i did not confirm his age and i don't really want to fair enough he, he was an adult man, is what you're saying. He was an adult man that should okay. not be marrying a 13-year-old. He, mm-hmm. too, obviously came from an elite family, considering he was a part of her family, and yeah. was the first cousin to Claudius, okay. which was Agrippina's uncle. So Germanicus... Wait, I'm going to need a tree. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll go over this again. Okay. Claudius, future emperor, important to the story, was Germanicus's brother. Got it. So his grandfather, this is Dom, uh, Demetrius, is what I will be calling him, was Mark Antony, also from the famous Julius Caesar stuff. So if you like the Shakespeare mm-hmm. stuff, Brutus was an honorable man, um, that guy. Got it. Uh, Marlon Brando. So anyway, according to sources, he was not a very, very wholesome dude, oh. considering you're cool with marrying a 13-year-old. Mm-hmm. Regardless, though, not much is known about his relationship specifically with Agrippina. So on March 16th of 37, Tiberius died, and Caligula was made the new emperor of Rome. Okay. Caligula, if you're wondering, is kind of like a Nero precursor. He was not a very nice guy. Uh, he okay. Did, he did a lot of very, very bad, scary things. But Caligula loved his sisters, and he gave them a lot of honors and and stuff. And obviously his sisters, when your brother is the emperor of Rome, you're going to get some power, right? Mm -hmm. These honors included and are not limited to, they received the rights of the Vestal Virgins, such as the freedom to view public games from the upper seats of the stadium, so they got good seats, uh, being honored with a new type of coinage depicting images of Caligula with his sisters on the opposite faces, which was kind of unheard of at the time. And then they also had their names added to motions, including loyalty oaths. So when you're a military dude and you're swearing your oath to Rome, you're not only swearing it to the Emperor Caligula, but you're swearing it to his sisters as well. Okay, which but again, they still couldn't choose to not be married at 13? But they could not choose to be married at 13. Okay. <laughs> so 
around the same time that Tiberius kicked the bucket, Agrippina became pregnant. And her husband at the time, still Demetrius, was acknowledged to be the father. So he didn't deny the... the uh, he was acknowledged to yes. be. That's good. Perfect. Yes, yes, yes. And she was 13 and a half? Uh, what were the years? What'd I say? 37. Um, and then they got married in 24? Oh, okay. So she was a, an adult. 28. So yeah, she was actually a, a an adult woman at the time. Okay. Which is lovely. Good. So let's see, where was I? On December 15th of 37, she gave birth to her son. His name was Lucius Demetrius with that crazy train wreck of a last name. And he was named directly after his grandfather on his dad's side. He would be her only naturally born child. And there is more on Lucius later. Oh, okay. Uh, as a sneak peek of Lucius, though, his father, Domitus Demetius, was congratulated by a buddy on the birth of his son, as a mm-hmm. friend would say, hey, you know, congrats for your son. He is allegedly said to have replied to his friend, I don't think anything produced by me and Agrippina could possibly be good for the state or for its people. Oh, gosh. So, foreshadowing. <laughs> All right. Things are about to get really strange, really dark, and a warning to those that are sensitive to those gross things I talked about before. I mentioned Caligula really liked his sisters, and they did things together. Very, very inappropriate relationships. That's all I'm going to say. Y'all can use your imaginations or read into it further if that is what you like. So were they consenting yes, they they okay. were. So he didn't well, sugar his sisters, but yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, at least one of them was consenting. I'm not sure about the All other right. two, and you're about mm. to kind of figure that out. So okay. anyway, Caligula is said to have shown particular favor to his sister Drusilla, who it is said he treated as his own wife, or as good yeah. as his own wife. She was married too. But she ended up dying on June 10th of 38. After this, Caligula no longer showed any... Excuse me. Caligula no longer showed any favor for his surviving two sisters. And he treated them actually quite poorly. And after Drusilla died, it's said that he went just completely bonkers. Awesome. 39, and you're (laughs) going to sense a theme here of... A really bad idea when things don't go your way, but people keep trying it for whatever reason. Um, in 39, Agrippina and Lavilla and Drusilla's widower, Marco, Marcus Emilius Am- uh, Lepidus, devised what is known as the plot of the three daggers that would have made Lepidus the new emperor. I, I say would have because this failed miserably. Oh. They were found out. Lepidus was promptly tried and killed, and then Agrippina and Lavilla were exiled by their brother to the Pontine Islands. Okay. Caligula sold everything they owned, and to add mm-hmm. insult to injury, on January of four or in January of forty, Agrippina's husband died of edema, so her son Lucius had to live with an aunt, and his uncle took away his inheritance completely. Oh, nice. 
strangely enough, um, kind of talking about Lucius a little bit more, this is said to have been the most stable time in his life. Great. These were terrible people. So Perfect. It turns out that people really didn't like Caligula because he did a lot of really bad things. Maybe I'll do something on him later. Besides incest and yeah. his family and all yeah. of those things? Yeah, right. he did worse things than that. So Caligula, his wife, and his daughter were murdered on January 24th of 41. And okay. their uncle, Claudius, Germanicus's brother, became emperor. Got it. Claudius lifted the exile of his nieces Agrippina and Lavilla. Lavilla returned to her husband, and Agrippina was reunited with her son Lucius, which sounds lovely. Yeah. Claudius. Right. So Claudius gave Lucius his inheritance back, which is nice. And he became even more wealthy when his uncle by marriage divorced his his paternal aunt to marry Agrippina. <laughs> Perfect. So this guy's getting really banjoey. It's get worse. It gets worse. So perfect. This guy's name was Crispus. He had a longer, more difficult name to pronounce. I'm just going to call him Crispus. Again, not much is known about this relationship, but Crispus, Agrippina's new husband, died and left his entire estate to Lucius. Okay. There are rumors that Agrippina may have aided in his death. More of that to come. Was it the Aqua Tafana? No, that that's I think a like a few hundred years later. Fair enough. Fair (laughs) enough. So Claudius at the time was married to Agrippina's second cousin, Valeria Messalina. During this time, Agrippina was trying to surprisingly keep a very, very low profile for the most part. And she stayed. She just killed her husband. She just killed her husband, and she stayed. A, she stayed away from court. She didn't want imperial court attention. But Messalina seemed like a very paranoid lady and was very obsessed with Agrippina because I guess she saw her and Lucius's potential bid for the throne as a threat. Hmm. Okay. So she targeted Agrippina. She. Also hated Lavilla, and she had Lavilla charged for having an affair with Seneca, a guy named Seneca the Younger. Okay. And Seneca will come into play later. But Seneca was exiled. I didn't really get into what happened to Lavilla after this. I'm assuming she was exiled again. I don't mm-hmm. know. Didn't really look into it. This is Agrippina's story. Off shoot. Yes. If they had a third person. So there's the elder, the younger. What was the third one? The lesser. Okay. The minor. I'll take it. I don't know. The minor. The youngest. So I mentioned that she targeted Agrippina. No, you're good. Uh, What did she do to Agrippina, you may ask? Well, I did ask that. You're right. Yeah. So she can. In my head. Yeah. So she considered, like I said, Lucius a threat to her son's position. Her son was named Britannicus. (laughs) Great. So she sent assassins to strangle Lucius the boy in his sleep. Hmm. Lucius ended up surviving this attack due to the fact that assassins saw a snake laying in his bed near his pillow, and they fled because they saw it as a bad omen. 
it, I have many questions. Oh, I got answers for you. I'll feed okay. you. I'll Perfect. feed you, baby bird. So it was, however, just a snakeskin. But you may be asking, what well, was a snakeskin doing now in his I bed? Have, I have more questions. For whatever reason, Agrippina had Lucius wear a snakeskin on a bracelet on his right arm. And I guess he was tossing and turning, and it fell out of his bed. Probably some weird, freaky-deaky Roman superstitious I mean, stuff. Fair. Also, there's easier ways to kill people and more discreet ways than kill them by strangling them in their sleep. This was the year, like, this is pre-50. Come on now. <laughs> I, I doubt they were, they had the most sophisticated plans to get rid of their enemies, as you'll see. Okay. So, Messalina was executed in 48 for conspiring against Claudius. Oh. As you do. Got it. So, after this, Claudius had a pickle. I'm emperor of Rome and I don't have a wife. Mm-hmm. And so he's considering, should I get married again, or should I just rule on my own? And his, well, his adv- niece is single. Yeah, you see where this is going. So mm-hmm. his advisors mm-hmm. were like, hey, there's this person over here who happens to be your niece, but she is of Julian blood, which means she descends from the source of the Roman Empire. And mm-hmm. so we should just, you know, consolidate your power, marry the two bloodlines, because he was from the Mark Antony side of things. And then mm-hmm. it's just the Julian Claudian bloodline. Perfect. It's also it's the master race. Kinda. It just it, it, it there's that, but I think it was more of the sense that if you marry the two bloodlines, then nobody has powerful. any sort of claim stronger yeah. than yours. That's fair. So it was also important to note that Claudius was considered to be kind of a pushover, so you can talk him into pretty much anything. Perfect. (laughs) So that said, he was pushed to marry Agrippina in order to unite, as I said, the Julian and Claudian bloodlines to end the feud between the two dynasties. So if y'all don't know, when Julius Caesar adopted Augustus, and Augustus was made king. Mark Antony was not very happy, and then he ended up rebelling, and then he and Cleopatra went off, and they were doing their thing, and stuff happened, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is yep. going to put an end to all that drama. Okay. So regrettably, <laughs> Agrippina and Claudius married on New Year's Day in 1949. I say regrettably because as 1949. We've jumped a few centuries. Oh, sorry, a 40. Wait, did I say a 49 <laughs> or 1949? You said 1949. Oh, sorry, folks. It's the year 0049. It's just really <laughs> weird whenever I see a 49. It usually is preceded by a 19. This is the year 0049. I apologize. Got it. So, and again, I say regrettably because Claudius was her uncle. Yeah. It To the Romans' credit, they also, they had a line. <laughs> and an uncle marrying a niece was there. And so Claudius and Agrippina had to do a lot of PR surrounding this. So they had to make this a very public thing. They had to, they did a lot of public celebrations. They were trying to make the people really a part of this. So they would look past the fact Mm -hmm. that it was just absolutely disgusting. Have a good time. Have some alcohol. Forget that I am marrying my niece. And and aside from that, you also have to consider the age gap here, too. While Agrippina was a woman at the time, was 
substantial. Yeah. She was Anna Nicole Smith, is what you're saying. Yeah. With her uncle. Right. Right. Yuck. So this marriage <laughs> was also met with widespread disapproval from the court, not because of the incest thing, but because everybody knew that Agrippina wanted Lucius to be emperor more than anything. Yeah, and she may or may not have killed her other husband. So as mm-hmm. empress, you can imagine Agrippina got a lot of power. Mm-hmm. She was the second living woman to be granted the honorary title of Augusta. Oh. Which is fancy and very yeah. significant. Under this title, she became a trusted advisor to Claudius and had a massive, massive, massive influence over his decisions. The most critical decision that Claudius made while married to Agrippina was to formally adopt Lucius making him and making him his successor. I... How old was she? Do I don't. Know? I don't know. I didn't do the okay. math at this point. Too much math. I'm guessing we, she was and in all of a sudden we we jumped to 1949, so we can't do those, that math either. Right. I'm guessing um, she was in like her 30s at this time, okay. and he was in his 50s. Right. I'm just surprised that she didn't get pregnant. Yeah, she never got pregnant again. So yeah. Uh, okay. That we know of. Claudius yeah. adopted Lucius in 50. And his name, Lucius's name, was changed to Nero Claudius Caesar Drusus Germanicus. Wow. That's a lot of names. This is the Nero you know and love. Got it. He he was then promptly betrothed to his stepsister, Claudia Octavia. What? Which... I thought we weren't okay with aunt or uncle daughter. it's, It's stepsister, so they weren't technically related. Oh, steps. Got it. Perfect. I mean, they were related because uh, Mesel- this is Messalina's daughter, I'm assuming, and Messalina was still Agrippina's second cousin, so yeah. uh, Nero so and, and Claudia cousin. were cousins at, yeah. by blood. And then, again, it is said that Claudius was ultimately convinced to adopt Nero because of his Julian bloodline. Got it. <laughs> After the marriage between his kids, <laughs> Claudia, <laughs> Claudia, <laughs> sorry, I, I really like the way I phrase that, obviously. <laughs> Claudia started to feel remorseful about his marriage to Agrippina. I guess he started oh, to see about that. about his marriage of his children, but his. No, it was more of his, his marriage to his niece and also making Nero his heir over his son Britannicus. God. And it. unfortunately for Claudius, he also started kind of favoring Britannicus again and weaning him for the throne, which when you're married to Agrippina and you're weaning some other kid for the throne, you're going to have a bad time. So according to legend, Agrippina wasn't having this and poisoned Claudius, killing him at the age of 65. See, poison, easier, cleaner, and more effective than strangling. This is still up for debate. Got it. All of this stuff was very sensationalized uh, at the time. Your quote-unquote historians were more storytellers than anything, so very lavish stories. We don't know. He could have died of natural causes. Dude lived to be 63 in the year 50. I mean, that's, that's a long life at the time. Perfect. So after his death, Agrippina kept the entire ordeal secret 
because she needed to consolidate power as quickly as possible without Britannicus laying any sort of claim to the throne. So she had the palace sealed, she had the capital sealed, and then she made sure that she introduced Nero to everybody, the Senate, the army, the court, as emperor before, you know, anything else could happen. Wow. He was 17 at the time. Oh. So it's time to get into our boy Nero's reign for a little bit. I'm not going to touch too much on it, just the beginning, because I'm sticking to things significant to Agrippina. Got it. The first couple years of his reign, she acted kind of as his regent. He was only 17, so obviously. She took a very active role, more active role in imperial life. She held court with her son. She visited Senate meetings with him. And then she even appeared as a partner to him on coins and statues, which, again, was unheard of at the time. A rift... (laughs) A rift between Agrippina and her son began to form after Nero started an affair with a freedwoman named Claudia Acti. Uh-oh. Agrippina did not agree with this because, I mean, his son was, or her son was sleeping with a former slave. Mm. And Agrippina's all about that court life and making sure that everything is on the up Keep and up. The blood pure. Exactly. Except when you're sleeping with your um, family members. I mean, that's pretty pure. Uh, It depends on how you look at it. So, I mean, it turns you purple, but... And gives you tentacles and... um, Yeah. yeah. And hemophilia, but... And hemophilia. (laughs) Looking at you, England. Agrippina was against the relationship and got after Nero for it. So she just would not leave him alone. And as you can imagine, or as you've heard, not imagine, Nero was not a very stable person. (laughs) He, I guess, was just exercising his right as emperor and told his mom, you know, go pound sand. This (laughs) didn't make her very happy. And so, as I mentioned, we have these weird themes of people trying to put somebody else on the throne. Agrippina started being nice to Britannicus, her her stepson. And she either allegedly wanted Britannicus to be emperor instead of Nero, or she just wanted to threaten Nero to fall in line. Again, we don't know. Either way, it wasn't a good idea. Instead of going after his mother for this instance, though, Nero just had his brother Britannicus poisoned in 55 what's even Mm -hmm. more cutthroat about this is she did it joffrey style so it was at a banquet or it was he did it joffrey style so it was at a Mm -hmm. banquet for britannicus and he poisoned him there good nero people nero awesome after this you can imagine that agrippina pretty much kept her head on a swivel (laughs) (laughs) In 56, she was forced out of the palace and sent to live in the imperial residence. I'm assuming it's like Camp David. I didn't look too far into the imperial residence. During this time, she had some influence over Nero still, and it is said that actually these were the most stable and best of his reign. When she was at the imperial palace, still kind of influencing him, but away from the court is when Uh his reign was okay. Distance makes the heart grow fonder. Yes. Mm. Yes. As t- 
as time progressed, their relationship became more and more hostile, and he began starting to take away her power and honors. <laughs> he even removed her bodyguard detail, which is just messed up, that considering messed up. <laughs> she's still the daughter of the emperor. But I think her biggest threat was him, so... Well, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So towards the middle of 56, she was stripped just completely of all her powers. Okay. Not much is known why she was killed. (laughs) That makes it seem like she was like a a witch and she got her powers taken away. I mean... Maybe. Yeah, you never know. Maybe Nero was a weird wizard warlock person. So we took away all her power, I think is what you meant to say, not powers. Well, she had multiple powers. Okay, fair enough. And then now she's dead. Political powers. Got folks, it. political powers, not supernatural or mystical powers. So but now uh, she's dead. Yeah. So not much is oh, known okay. of why Agrippina was killed. Okay. Or how Agrippina was killed. So it was we know it was not natural causes. It's safe to assume it wasn't natural causes. Okay. One of the crazy stories that I didn't put in, in this, but I have to tell you about just because it's mm-hmm. bizarre, is it's just so it's just so sensational. They put her on a boat and there was a trap door on the boat and they were going to send her out to sea, open the trap door and she was going to sink with the boat. Was the plan to kill her. Huh. But in this story, she escaped the boat, swam to shore and then was killed by assassins. That's one I mean, of three different creative. stories that I've read of how she was killed. So you can imagine they don't really know what happened. Okay. However, I say it, it's not known why she was killed, but many believed, good old reliable here, that she was part of a plot to overthrow her son <laughs> and put somebody else in place. <laughs> there are various accounts of her death, and they all contradict each other, like you know I just said. And quite frankly, they are very over the top, including a boat with a trap door. <laughs> According to some, Nero at her service or memorial or whatever kept commenting on how beautiful she was weird he had her cremated that night okay and then also it said that he started to become very very paranoid so acting very sketchy just kind of twitchy all this kind of stuff (laughs) when news of her death spread throughout the reaches of the empire though various folks including representatives of the army and the senate this is very dark, sent him letters congratulating him for getting rid of his mom and saving himself from her devious plots. Oh. So, men. Right. Uh. During the remainder of his reign, her grave was never covered or closed, just as a slight. Ew. Her household did give her as much as they could, some Mm -hmm. sort of respectful burial it's said that they had a mausoleum erected and mm-hmm. and uh you know honored her there his her death stayed on his conscience and he felt so guilty that it said that he would have nightmares he would see his mom's ghost and he even got persian magicians to try to scare the ghost away oh maybe she was a witch yeah i mean she could have been yeah, she cursed him. And then just something interesting. 
and again, a little dark, but it's very Roman, is years before her death, she actually visited astrologers just to figure out what Nero's future would be like. (laughs) (laughs) The astrologers actually very accurately predicted that he would kill her. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't much of a stretch. This is why she was a good mom. Oh, she said, let she said, let him kill me, provided he becomes emperor. Oh, that I gi- think that gives you all the feels, doesn't it? folks? Yeah. <laughs> That's according to Tacitus. And again, he's one of these crazy people that he didn't have the boat story, but he had one of the crazy stories. So Got it. grain of salt, folks, grain of salt. I mean, that's so heartfelt. But that's Agrippina the Younger, and I had a blast reading about this lady. <laughs> that's intense. It's she needs a movie. You say that about everybody. I know, I but I would love to see this in a movie. I don't know who would yeah. play Agrippina the Younger. Um, mm. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Did they say she was beautiful? I'm assuming anything you read about her. I mean, when she's older, but she couldn't play Agrippina the Younger when she's younger. Touche. I bet a Scarlett Johansson would make a good Agrippina the Younger, too. Hmm. I like Charlie's Throne better. Yeah. But I I, has like that powerful. That scary, authoritative, Mm -hmm. hot woman vibe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. All right. Well, Romans, everybody. (laughs) All right. Well, my story is nothing like that. (laughs) Um, Because, wow. Yes. Love it. Hate it. I told Um, you you'd love it, but it's... It's a love-hate relationship for sure. I bet you're going to be researching more Romans in the future. Maybe. I, I might just leave that up to you. I don't... I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Well. Anyway, so my story, we're going to go ahead a few centuries. Uh, Okay. My story is about Mother Jones. So Mother Jones was, her real name, was Mary G. Harris Jones. She was born in Cork, Ireland sometime around 1837. The date is not exactly known, but she was baptized in the Roman Catholic Church on August 1st, 1837. Okay. So probably sometime around there. Her parents were Richard and Ellen Harris. They were both tenant farmers. And when Mary was around 10 years old, her family, along with millions of other families in Ireland, were forced to immigrate because of the potato famine. Yep. So she, her family moved to Canada. In her early 20s, she went to school in Toronto at Toronto Normal School, which I hate that name, um, (laughs) where she studied to be a teacher. She apparently didn't end up graduating, but she had enough training where she could still become a teacher, which I don't really understand, but... Old times, people. Old times. Um, So she moved to Monroe, Michigan and began teaching at a convent school. But she apparently hated this. She called it a depressing place. And 
ended up moving to Chicago to be a seamstress and then later to Memphis also to be a seamstress. Okay. Where she met her husband, George E. Jones, and they got married in 1861. So George was a skilled iron molder, and he was a prominent member of the Union of Iron Workers. So her experience with his union helped her see how badly workers were treated, because this was the Industrial Revolution. And it would later fuel her passion for unions. Foreshadowing. Okay. So Mary and George had four children together, but in 1867, a yellow fever epidemic hit Memphis, and George and all four of their children died. Sheesh. All of her children were under, under the age of five. Luckily, George was such an influential member of his union that the Iron Workers Union actually paid for all of their funerals. That's incredible. Yeah, and they held like, held, like, a meeting in their honor and everything. Um, I read in one article that Mary actually, like, even though she was grief-stricken and everything, she decided to help other people who were quarantined with yellow fever and kind of pay that support forward for a little while. Mm-hmm. But after their deaths, she began dressing only in black for the rest of her life because she was just heartbroken, but she moved back to Chicago to be a dressmaker again. When she was there, she was pretty successful. She made clothes for the upper class people in Chicago. And she mentioned that while she was there, she was noticing that there was a lot of poor and the working class was really mistreated. And it really bothered her that her employers didn't seem to notice or care about the people that were literally starving on the streets and that kind of stuff. So, but she was kind of getting back on her feet after going through some stuff. And then the Great Fire of Chicago in 1871 happened. (laughs) And she lost everything. Yep. Her house, her home, all of her possessions, everything. I mean, she wasn't the only one. The fire took out almost the entire city of Chicago. But she lost everything again. So... But even though she was left practically penniless and homeless, she focused on helping others instead. So she joined the Knights of Labor, which was like this kind of secret but not secret organization of peaceful workers. Mm -hmm. And she helped them organize meetings and recruited new members. And even though the Knights of Labor's didn't really love strikes and they wanted things to remain peaceful, um, she began to like do more public speaking and organize strikes to advocate for the working class. And she kind of decided this was her calling instead of dressmaking. She was really good at public speaking. She was really good at organizing the unions. And this was her passion now. She focused her passion on the rising numbers of the working poor during the industrialization era because their wages started to shrink their hours were getting longer. They didn't have insurance. They didn't have health care. They weren't given unemployment. And she particularly focused on minors, like mm-hmm. people that work in mines, yeah. not yeah. children. Um, <laughs> she, and they started giving her the nickname of the Miner's Angel because she started to advocate for them so much. Uh, she started traveling and giving speeches and helping organize these strikes across the U.S., Her first big strike that she helped with was the Great Railroad Strike in 1877 in Pittsburgh, 
where railroad workers and their families who were already pretty much living in poverty were getting their wages cut again, so they started striking. This strike ended in a lot of arrests and a few deaths, because, including some children, mm. because the troops and the police started to shoot the protesters. Never a good thing. Yeah, Mary didn't love this, um, so she started organizing more strikes, but mainly in Chicago, and really started rallying behind the labor movement, which was growing at this time. They were fighting for eight-hour workdays, they were fighting for better wages, and Mary believed that men should earn enough money so that they could support their families and the women could stay home with their children. We don't see eye-to-eye on that, Mary, but I feel where you're going. Had she lived today, I'm sure you two would be in lockstep. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. We'll get there. Okay, Um, never mind. (laughs) But for the most part, yes. So the labor movement at this time was really starting to rally against capitalism, and they had a lot of outspoken people in the movement that were considered extreme socialists, communists, and anarchists, and also a large number of immigrants that were a part of this movement. Those are all which the buzzwords. <laughs> yes. Which makes sense because the working class usually is immigrants. But this, of course, didn't make racist white people or our government super happy. And because the growing number of strikes were people outwardly speaking against capitalism, this eventually led to some really bad things. Yep. Namely, what they call the Haymarket Riot in Chicago on May 4th, 1886. So the Chicago police had recently killed and wounded a few people at a strike the day before. So on May 3rd, which of course led to a larger protest of about 2,000 people who were outraged by police violence at this point. This was mostly led by an anarchist named August Spies, who was German so an immigrant, and he had kind of put out a call to arms right after personally witnessing the police shooting at this strike. He began passionately speaking to the crowds against police brutality and all this stuff, and he was leading this protest, but it remained mostly peaceful Mm -hmm. until later in the evening when the police came to disperse the crowds, and someone who was never identified threw a bomb at the police line. Yeah, you're nodding in despair, looks like. Yeah. And chaos just ensued at this point. Police started firing. The protesters started firing. There were riots. In the end, seven police officers, one civilian, and a lot of, like, seven police officers and one civilian died. And then there was injuries all over the place. And after that, the labor movement, of course, got a really bad rap. Xenophobia increased all sorts of things and eight people who the police decided were linked to the riots and the bombings were arrested tried and executed even though there was not really any evidence linking them directly to it they needed bodies Mm -hmm. so this execution pissed off mary she actually started to speak out because she felt like, speak out against her union, like, her labor union that she was with, the Knights of Labor, because she didn't feel that they helped enough to Mm -hmm. save these people (laughs) from execution. Fair enough. And that their peaceful protest was not working. 
And so she began working with the United Mine Workers. They have her travel all over the country, and this kind of, like, lit the fire under her to start fighting for others. Um, She began really speaking out in support of strikes, and she began speaking against people who she didn't think were supportive enough and sometimes would get a little antagonistic (laughs) and would kind of call people out. Like, if she thought they were going to cross the strike line, she would call them out, like, Mm -hmm. all sorts of things. And she became really known for selling her speeches she would sometimes include props, visual aids, and dramatic stunts to get her point across. <laughs> so she was very talented at getting people to join the movement. She was a showman. Mm-hmm. But even though she was antagonistic at times, she was actually really, really caring to the workers and their families. Uh, she was so helping, like helpful to them that they gave her the nickname Mother Jones, which began to catch on at that point, even like, News reports used Mother Jones and that kind of stuff, which she also played into more as she got older and she started calling the male workers that she was advocating for her boys. So she became so good at what she did that the union started like sending her into the coal fields to recruit members. And she was against capitalism as well. And she believed that miners should direct their own economy and that public should own the coal and natural resources, not the big companies. She then started making her way into like the textile mills, mills, the steel mills. Why do I can't mills? That's meals. (laughs) And anywhere like a working class person would be that would need a union. Right. Uh, She spoke for the unskilled workers, the immigrants, and the African Americans to be the heart of the and soul of the movement. She was super against white supremacy, especially in the union. She said that. Black miners in West Virginia were the best trade unionists and that the Mexicans and Italians in the Southwest should be the base of the movements there. So she fought for, I don't maybe not equal rights, but like, yeah, let's not be racist. She also was known for living the life of the miners. So she, even though she had a salary, like the United Mine, Mine Workers or whatever it's called, mm-hmm. the UMW, gave her a salary, she could afford to not live in the barracks. She did. She would eat the same food. She stayed in the quarters, like uh, the same, like the miners and their family. And she actually scolded other union leaders for not doing the same thing. Uh, I mean, (laughs) you really can't argue with that. (laughs) (laughs) She, a friend of her was quoted Jones is above and beyond all, one of the working class. Wherever she goes, she enters into the lives of the toilers and she becomes part of them. So she definitely like her heart and soul were with was with these workers and she gave them everything. In 1897, the UMW began to call for like a nationwide strike of miners that were mining soft coal. What started with just 9,000 members of the union grew to over tens of thousands of mine workers joining the protest. And of course, Mary was right alongside them, cheering them on. She got the wives and the children involved in the strike and turned it into like a family-based movement where she would encourage the women and children to non-violently start a ruckus and distraction (laughs) where they thought the strike breakers would be. So like when people would come in to break up the strike, she was like, distract them. They would have brooms, they would hit pans and like tins and shout, join the union. And she would, this became kind of her trademark with later strikes. Mm -hmm. This 
this big strike that she helped organize and was a big part of eventually led to the miners getting a 10% wage increase. So she was pretty successful. Right, that's pretty effective. She was so well known that she was banished from several towns, was held in jails where they like pretty much put her on house arrest so nobody could talk to her and she couldn't talk to anybody else. And this happened in more states in the U.S. than any other union leaders at the time. In 1902, a statewide strike in West Virginia led to a lot of arrests. And then, of course, violence and eight minors died, Mm -hmm. probably at the hands of police. And at this time, some injunctions were passed to try to silence, like, people speaking out and organizing the strikes and everything. And, of course, Mary was like, nope, going to do it anyway. And she got a court-martial and was arrested. And at this trial, the West Virginia District Attorney, Reese Blizzard, stated, there sits the most dangerous woman in America. She comes into a state where peace and prosperity reign, crooks her finger, and 20,000 contented men lay down their tools and walk out. She also insulted the judge at this trial (laughs) and then was given a suspended sentence, but no imprisonment because the judge didn't want her to become a martyr. Did they say what she did? She didn't listen to the injunctions about the anti-strikes and that kind of stuff. Oh, okay. So it would have been like a pretty minor charge anyway, but... They wanted. They were trying to make an example out of her, and she was like the most dangerous woman in America. They were trying to silence well, of, her. Of course, I mean, yeah. definitely the most dangerous woman in America. In the early 1900s, it was revealed that a sixth of the American children under 16 were employed, and most of them were working in mills or mines. Right? I said mills. Don't laugh at me. No, um, but but you said unemployed children, and my brain just went, huh. Children were employed. Sorry. Well, I mean, regardless, talking about children and employment yeah. is just weird. Yes. That, right? that, that's where my brain's having yeah. issues. So continue. Sorry. Okay. So Mary felt that young girls were being, that were working in these mills were being robbed and demoralized and that children in general were being denied the right to go to school and be children. <laughs> Right. Um, She also noted that many children from the working class class were malnourished, had missing fingers or had other disabilities, probably from work related incidents. Go figure. Yeah. So when she tried to get a story published about these terrible working conditions for these children, she was denied because the mill owners held stock in the papers. That sounds about right. Yeah. So she replied, well, I've got stock in these little children, and I'll arrange some publicity. And she attempted to get permission to speak with President Theodore Roosevelt and was denied. She sent him a letter, and he did not respond. So in 1903, she organized children who worked in the mills and the mines and their families to participate in a children's crusade from Kensington, Pennsylvania to Oyster Bay, New York City, where Teddy Roosevelt had his summer home. And they marched over a hundred or just under a hundred miles with signs that said, we want to go to school, not the mines, or we want time to play. Or, and they had drums and all sorts of stuff. And they marched 
this whole time. And when they would get to certain areas, like a bigger city, they would hold like a rally and be like, children need to be kids and blah, blah, blah. And all the communities would come and support them and they'd bring food and they'd bring clothes. Someone would go ahead of them and set up sleeping quarters for everybody. um, And they would just be greeted with lots of support. Mm -hmm. Sometimes train workers would even stop and give them free rides so they didn't have to walk the whole time, just most of it. And this is insane. But when she got to Coney Island to do, and she was doing the rally, they had a zoo there. So she decided to put the children in cages at the rally to, as like a drama, like to dramatize what she said was the boss's attitudes towards their workers. (laughs) (laughs) This lady knew how to put on a show. I like her. Yeah. At this rally, she has, I'm not going to read the whole thing. There's a really long quote. It's called the whale of the children quote. It's pretty famous. Mm -hmm. But she she said, we want President Roosevelt to hear the whale of the children who never had a chance to go to school, but work 11 and 12 hours a day in the textile mills of Pennsylvania, who weave the carpets that he and you walk upon and the lace curtains in your windows and the clothes of the people. Later in the speech, she said, we are told that every American boy has the chance of being president. I tell you that these little boys in the iron cages would sell their chance any day for good square meals and a chance to play. These little toilers whom I have taken from the mills, deformed, dwarfed in body and soul with nothing but toil before them, have never heard that they have a chance, the chance of every American male citizen to become president. Word. So, yeah, she was really good at public speaking. (laughs) Yeah, like that's, wow. Yeah. When they got to Oyster Bay, Teddy Roosevelt refused to see them. Oh, Teddy. Of course. But she felt that the march was mostly a success because it actually kind of started the movement towards child labor laws. Mm -hmm. They had to go back to work, but the work days were shorter. That's good. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Sheesh. Yeah, it it started it. It didn't really go through until quite a bit later. I mean, you got to crawl before you can walk. Yeah. She. So this was when you said that we would be hand in hand. This is kind of where we do not see eye to eye. Gotcha. So (laughs) she was kind of not liked by the women's suffragettes at this time. Because remember that women still didn't have the right to vote. Yep. And they often said that she was anti-women's rights because she felt the fight should be more focused on the workers and liberating the working class. She was quoted, I have never had a vote and I have raised hell all all over this country. You don't need a vote to raise hell. You need convictions and a voice. She also said, I am not anti anything which brings freedom to my class. However, Mm -hmm. She is also saying that the suffragettes were naive and women uh, were naive women who unwittingly participated in class warfare and said that women having the right to vote in Colorado still didn't stop the horrible labor conditions there and thought that the women's place was in the home. She also felt that women and wives were better served as nurturers and motivators of the striking men, but not as their fellow workers. So uh, yeah, 
I mean, she, um, I, I still think she was a product of her time, and yeah. she she was. I, from my perspective, it seems like she's navigating the terrain within the rules of the game. She Whereas, also was raised Roman Catholic, so there's that. Whereas the suffragettes yeah. were like, "Yeah, we're just going to break the system because the system sucks." But you also think that it would they were upper class white women. Too. That's very true as well. That's a very different. So, yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point as well. So she has a point, yeah, for sure. But also, like it was noted in several articles that she was not really for women's rights. Yeah. But you can't have everything, I guess. In 1912, she traveled again to West Virginia during the Paint Creek Cabin Creek strikes, where she helped, of course, organize the strikes and began speaking as usual. Mm -hmm. However, a shooting war between the Union mine workers and a private army owned by the mine started, and then martial law was declared. So she was arrested again on February 13th, and because she was probably ignoring them and doing her thing, she was court-martialed and accused of conspiring to commit murder at this court. She, of course, refused to recognize the legitimacy of the court-martial. Right. So I'm sure she had many words. And she was convicted and sentenced to 20 years and put on house arrest. Seriously? Yeah. She was in her 80s, by the way, at this time. While in the house, like while on house arrest, she got sick and had pneumonia really, really badly and she was not doing well. Mm -hmm. And her supporters like rallied against her convinced, and then convinced the governor to give her a pardon, mostly because her sentence, her sentence in house arrest was kind of illegal. And draconian is all get out. This took 85 days. There's now, (laughs) this is kind of funny side note. There's now a highway marker in Pratt, West Virginia that, has a like commemorates her imprisonment that's like labor organizer mother jones spent her 84th birthday imprisoned here interesting yeah thought that was interesting yeah and weird now on if i april- ever see that mile marker i'll be like i know what that is <laughs> on april 19th 1914 the national guard so this is awful encircled mm-hmm. strikers at camp ludlow in colorado or ludlow So this striker's camp had minors, their wife, and their children, and the National Guard just opened fire on them. And this, of course, started a battle between the guards and the strikers, and then when the strikers ran out of ammunition, they retreated in the countryside. But the women and children were hiding in cellars that had been dug under the tents to try to avoid the bullets. Right. And so the National Guard decided to soak their tents in kerosene and light them on fire. Are you kidding me? (laughs) In one cellar, they found 11 children and two women dead. And this became known as the Ludlow or Ludlow Massacre or the Machine Gun Massacre. In all, 25 people died, and only three of them were National Guardsmen. Most of the people who died were women and children. No economic philosophy is worth a human life. Just saying yeah. that. Mm-hmm. No matter There's how a- much you hate a respective economic philosophy, folks, it's not worth a human life. Yeah. And if you think it's worth a human life, you need to go out to the ocean <laughs> and you need to sink down and not breathe anymore. Jump into the ocean with cement shoes, please. Yes. 
Jesus, Anyways, so terrible. this horrible thing led to strikes and violence all like all over Pennsylvania. Yep. Where more than 50 people died. It was like a whole thing. The massacre really affected Mary and she went across the nation to tell the story of what happened. And she actually spoke before Congress and convinced President Wilson to intervene. And he actually pretty much forced the miners and the owners to come to a truce at this point. Hey, Woodrow Wilson did a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, once. Um, She, so, and mind you, this was in 1914. So she was old as dirt. In her 90s, yeah. Or, well, there's some speculation of how old she was. We'll get to it. She remained an activist and a union organizer until she was pretty much physically not able to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. She spent her later years living in Maryland with, I think, a cousin or something, but she still was on those picket lines. In 1919, she was arrested at a steelworking strike. She was <laughs> in her late 80s. I was going to say, like, mm-hmm. good for and her. And she was later released with no charges. Yeah. She went to Mexico in 1921 for the Pan-American Federation of Labor. It was like a big con- conference they had there. She was trying to promote a better understanding of workers in the U.S., Mexico, and Central America. Mm-hmm. In her, sh- which I'll get to in a second, she wrote her own autobiography in 1925. She called it the Autobiography of Mother Jones. And in it, she said she was 91 years old when she went to Mexico. All right. I'll so, take her word for it. Yeah. But remi- like, remember, it said that she might have been born in, what was what did I say, 1897? I'm just saying. 18- 1837? Ladies done but, enough to decide her own age. Yeah. <laughs> so, But I'll believe her. It's fine. Right. Right. Her last strike that she went to was in 1924. That's insane. Yeah. And she went on the behalf of dressmakers in Chicago. That's insane. Yeah. She celebrated her self-proclaimed 100th birthday on May 1st, 1890. No, ni- 1930. I don't know what I'm writing here. Hey, I said I said Romans <laughs> were around in 1949, so you're good. So she said she was 100 on May 1st, 1930. And she gave a speech, and it was filmed, and she received lots of messages. It was this big party. Some people don't think she was actually 100. That's why I said we'll get into something about her age. But since I don't know when she actually was born, she was 100. There you go. She passed away on November 30th, 1930, so just a few months after this birthday. And she was buried in the Union Minor Cemetery in Mount Olive, Illinois. All right. In 1932, 15,000 Illinois miners gathered for a protest there at, like, at Mount Olive, mm-hmm. and they were like, well, since we're doing this kind of in the heart and soul of Mother Jones, let's actually get her a real headstone. By 1935, they had collected more than $16,000 mm-hmm. and were able to purchase like this huge memorial for her. And October on October 11th, 1936, more than 50,000 people came to see this memorial be unveiled. That's incredible. It was made of 80 tons of pink granite with a 20-foot pillar in the middle with, like, a plaque of Mother Jones on it mm-hmm. and two bronze statues of miners next to it. I got to see October this October 11th is now known as Miner's Day, 
and is also celebrated as Mother Jones Day. Hey, I'm all about those weird one-off. Yeah. Wow, she looked all of her age in that picture. Yeah. (laughs) She was kind of like a cute old lady, but you could tell she had some fire behind her. Dude, she's been through some things. Yeah. That's Mm -hmm. a really cool memorial. Yeah. In 1984, she was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame. And in 2009, she was inducted into the National Miners Hall of Fame. And that's Mother Jones. But I have a a quote as well. Let's hear it. I didn't know where to put this in there. But the U.S. Senate apparently called her the grandmother of all agitators at one point. And she replied, I hope to live long enough to be the great grandmother of all agitators. That's a good quote. That is a pretty good quote. And that is Mother Jones. Very cool. There you go. Little more heartfelt than yours. Little more heartfelt. Hey, hey, she said, as long as he's emperor, I don't care if he kills me. That's fair. That's love. (laughs) That is something. I, I, I understand not agreeing with unions. I get it. I don't understand just the vitriol. I don't. I, I just yeah. don't like people wanting to make sure that you they hold you accountable for making sure they're treated fairly and you want to hate them for mm-hmm. it. It's weird to me, but yeah. And I understand the argument against, you know, free market and whatnot, which is fine. But just when it gets violent and hateful like that, I yeah. just don't understand. I That's freaking insane. I think unions, especially then, were needed more than any like oh of course because it was the wild west with industry you have kids (laughs) you have kids working like come on kids working like if you think children working longer days than we legally are allowed to work now without getting overtime well and just something to think about too as far as how exploited these people were at the time is there are human bodies in hoover dam Mm mm-hmm Many. A lot. Mm-hmm. And they just fell in. It's like, well, we're not getting them back. Yeah. Let's pull someone in from the line. You know, like, it. that's dark. <laughs> and that was 20, 30 years after this, yeah. wasn't it? That was yeah. a decent time after. I don't know if it was 30 years, but it was a decent yeah. time. So, Hoover yeah. Was, Hoover was after Roosevelt, right? I think it was a Hoover thing. Yeah, but... Herbert Hoover, Hoover was yeah. after, FD, after FDR. No, he was before FDR. He was before FDR? Okay, yes. my brain. Hoover, I think, was right before FDR because Hoover okay. was the Great Depression guy. Okay, got it. And also the, the dude that single-handedly lost everything for the Republicans at the time. Yeah. And then he also completely lost the black vote from the Republicans at the time. He was not a good president. Mm-hmm. Regardless, though, yeah, he, he was before um, FDR. Got it. So yeah. this, yeah, so actually it was shortly around that like shortly after this yeah and right actually right around this time probably so yeah late 20s early 30s yeah could be wrong another cool quote from her is she said pray for the dead and fight for hell for the living fight like hell for the living i like that one yeah as you should as you fight for the living and so she was pretty cool well leave it up to me to 
bring the <laughs> the craziness to yeah. these topics. We're supposed to be celebrating mothers, and you're like, let me talk about incest and a lady who tried to kill her son. It's fine. All I know is the minute we picked mothers, I was like, I got to do Nero's mom. Because <laughs> <laughs> that lady was intense. But anywho, um, okay. where can the good people find us? If you have a cool mom story... Send me an email, or send you can send it to Jared too. But I'm probably the one checking it at wildwildwhattf at gmail.com. If you want to tweet at us, it's wildwildwhattf at Twitter. And if you want to see pictures that I will inevitably get to, uh, wildwildwhattf podcast at Instagram. Please also, if you like us, share us with your friends. Go on Apple Podcasts, give us a review, subscribe. Five stars is preferred. <laughs> if you can or are willing and we've also I don't think ever really stated this but we release on Tuesdays yes we release every Tuesday so unless that's good knowledge for everybody something crazy <laughs> happens yeah every Tuesday usually by 10pm right right really depends uh, Alex is a busy man so. yeah 10pm central time usually around yes. Yes. Give or take. Sometimes earlier. Depends so check on us the day. out. Yep. Tuesdays. And thanks for hanging out with us, folks. We really do yeah. appreciate it. And we, we're having a lot of fun and we wanna we wanna keep doing this for you. So And give your mom figures a hug for us. Yes. And don't get mad at them and try to elevate your stepbrother to some weird position that will not Yeah. I didn't she I don't remember what happened. Yeah. It's don't poison your mom either. Or don't let your mom poison your stepdad uncle. Yes. I actually got very nervous that she there was going to be some, like, she became, like, the aunt, sister, mom, wife. And I was like, oh, God, please don't go that next level, next level, no. Yeah. If it would have gone any farther, I would have had to pick a different story. Fair enough. Yeah. I, like, <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, that was, that was tough. But anywho, folks... Thanks a lot. We appreciate you and we'll uh we'll catch you next time. <laughs>